He was nothing more than an interested observer and former player when Hawthorne of 2008 won the first of the club's four flags in eight years. Yet he played a profound role in the evolution of what has become the club's most successful era. Welcome, Richie Vandenberg. G'day, Mike. Are you, are you proud? Are you frustrated? Are you jealous? Certainly proud. Um, and I suppose envious would be the other word you'd use. Because you were captain of, of the Hawthorne Footy Club for the three years before the Premiership run started. And I know the, the ethic of Hawthorne's team, but you were so close to being part of that glory, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so close yet, yet so far. And there was a, a few of us who, who bowed out at the same time. You uh, and Joel Smith left after 2000 and, uh, 2007. 2007. Yeah. And, and Ben Dixon yep. as well. So the three of us who'd been around for, you know, a good 10 years each, and Smithy had been around a lot longer, you know, with his previous days at, at St Kilda. And then we all finished up, and then next year was the, was the year. You were there? You were at the grand final? Yeah, I was at the grand mm -hmm. final. I sat up in the stand in about the third level, I think it was, with... Um, Family and friends, yep. and uh, yeah, watched on very enviously, and oh, you know, proud. But it was a uh, it was a tough day. It was it, a tough day. It would have been because it was just split emotions. I mean, you're proud, you're happy for the footy club, but 12 months earlier, it could have been what might have been. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, you want them to win because you know the guy so well, and you know, you know, all the, the effort and the pain they've been through. And then on the other side of it, you, you, you sort of there's a little bit of fear inside of what if they do win and you know because you know I made a decision the year before to retire uh, there was still an opportunity to go on um, for another year which mean I would have been at the club in, in 2008 but I made the decision to, to retire because I thought my body was was failing me and in 2007 I only played eight games eight yeah. games yeah. yeah I'd only played eight games and I was battling with form and then the mind was starting to it was it was pretty taxing you know I'd had a pretty taxing you know few years the whole club had really I mean mm. everyone had had a, had a pretty hard time of it at Hawthorne when we had so much change from the president all the way down to the to the last player on the list. The whole place had been turned upside down. So I made a decision to retire, and then of course you you start to question whether that was the right thing to do or not. So you're, you're only thirty. I mean, it's thirty, obviously thirty, but it's not old in footy terms. There's a new coach in Alistair Clarkson. Where did Clarko sit on this? I mean, was he did he want you to play on? Yeah, they, they were keen for me to, to keep... Well, they were going to give you the opportunity anyway. And uh, I think it would have been more about probably handing on the baton from the captaincy perspective to, to Mitchell and, and Hodge because we had a succession plan in place and to be a support, as much to be a support for those guys. But we'd had conversations that much of my next year was going to be playing in, in, in the twos, mm -hmm. effectively. Yep. And... Um, you know, I'd broken my arm or broken my shoulder twice that season and the second time was coming back and in, you know, I was coming back from a hamstring injury and, you know, I, I busted my shoulder first of all, I should say, and then broke it again against Sydney and that was really the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, I was able to get the rest of the season out, thankfully, but, um, you know, I just woke up one day and thought, you know, this is, this is pretty tough, we'll have a good hard think about it and... You were pretty physical, and there was going to be a high attrition rate for you, wasn't there, because of the way you played the game? Yeah, yeah. You know, you look back, and back, I think players these days, there's still a lot of injuries around, but um, yeah, you, you put yourself through a, a fair bit, uh, you know, a lot of injuries. And, but early days, I, I didn't suffer many injuries. It was very late that I started to have problems with hamstrings and lower back, and, and that's all a sign of, mm. you know, the body's you're getting, a bit, getting a bit tired. And then when you have the collision injuries on top of that, um, 
that it can start to wear a little bit thin. Clarko takes over from Peter Swab as coach of Hawthorne mm -hmm. and makes what to the rest of us on the outside thought was a surprise decision to elevate Richard Van Der, Richie Vandenberg to the captaincy. Mm -hmm. Did you, were you surprised? Well, if you saw my haircut on the day, <laughs> the day it was announced... So you weren't expecting it? <laughs> I, wasn't, I, I was sitting there and, of course, in pre-season, you know, we all sort of you let the hair go and... <laughs> mm. And, uh, yeah, the announcement was made and next thing you know, we're getting photos done. So, no, it, it did it come as a, it did come as a surprise. So what did he say to you? Well, it's probably a little bit of a blur, but I remember coming into the room and... I um, uh, can't quite remember who was there. I think it might have been Dougie Evans and, and Clarko and, and uh, just let me know that I was going to be the captain and mm. yeah, it took me as a bit of a surprise but it took a while to sink in. To be I honest. must say, and this is not to your detriment, but it wasn't a Cox played field at the time, was it? I mean, there, was, there weren't blokes yet, there was the younger Mitchell and Hodge, but yeah. they weren't ready for it. Yeah. Uh, and there weren't a lot of outstanding contenders, were there? Yeah, well, I mean, Crawf, Crawford stood down. Yep. He'd been a standout yep. leader at the club for a long, long time. And I think that the fact that Crawford made the decision to, to stand down was all part of the creating a whole new era. And, yeah, we probably were a little bit light on um, because everyone had sort of sat under under Croft's shadow so to speak and uh, probably a lot of people expected Spider to be the next mm. the next captain. Um, Did you? Yeah I, I probably probably was one of those people that thought he would he would get it as well. Uh, yeah and then then it was myself and Joel. Joel was the mm. was the vice so that was that and then uh, and then off we went and uh, it was a very quick learning curve to yeah. say the least. I must say, I think most people, certainly people at Hawthorne, and I think those of us on the outside, uh, it's understated your contribution to the evolution of the modern Hawthorne. I mean, I think the culture changed when you were there, the way the team played and what the expectations were. Do you agree with that? No, it definitely did change. I mean, it was a conscious decision of, of Clarkson when he came in. Um, it was the introduction of leading teams, which we've all heard so much about. They came into the, into the footy club at the same time. And I suppose, as a new captain trying to find my feet, I really embraced the whole leading team's uh, mantra and what it was all about. And it was pretty tough. You know, there was a, you know, open and honest conversation was one of the big ones. And for a player who um, felt... You probably had... You know, we all respected each other within the footy club, but you're certainly not on a Shane Crawford level in terms mm. of when it comes to, to ability to play the game. So had to adopt a, a slightly different leadership style and we just, we just set a... a set a path of, of trying to create a, a group of leaders rather than just trying to rely on one or two within the footy club and, and set about setting a whole new level of, of, of standards. And I think that was probably one of the, the legacies of, of my days was I embraced it. Um, and it did take some time for certainly some of the older guys to really embrace it. Uh, and probably by his own admission, Croft would be one of those guys that probably didn't embrace it early enough. Mm -hmm. But then when he did, um, and I think it probably took a couple of years, when Croft really got, got into what the whole program was about, I think it just took the club to the next level. So it really didn't surprise me that once he really bought into it, that the club just took a whole other step. There was a game in 2004, Richie, and the Hawks are playing the Bombers. you surprised I'm going to referred to as the line in the sand game. <laughs> the line in the sand game. I mean, game. you are identified with that, aren't you? It was a game at the MCG. Yeah. The Bombers used to bully you both, didn't they? Yeah, so 2004 was, was um, the year before, you know, all the big change at Hawthorne. Um, look, I'd been at the footy club since 1997, or 98 was my first year, and we hadn't beaten Essendon in that whole time I'd played there. And they were a big and 
you know, mm. big side, big and tough side. And between them and Brisbane, they were the two teams he feared playing against the most because they were just so physical. And the game was played very physically back in those yep. days. And I grew up a Bomber supporter. So all through the 80s, of course, you despise Hawthorne and yeah. Dermot Brereton and these guys because they're beating up on uh, beating up on the Bombers. And I finally get to Hawthorne and Essendon's the one team that gives us a hiding every <laughs> yeah. time we go out and play. Yeah. And not only were they beating us, you know, that we were the pretty boys. Yeah. You know, so we were seen as... Um, a walkover to those guys, and um... so take us back to that game. Half time, they're in front, cruising, yeah. look, look, appearing to cruise towards another win where they just sort of kept you blokes in your place. Mm -hmm. And you came out after the break a different team, didn't you? Like you were breathing fire, brawl erupted. You know, everyone who was sort of it was the talking point of football for weeks after that. Yeah, it was. What happened in the rooms, Richie? Uh, plenty happened, um, it, but it, it also happened in the lead up to the game. Even in, in on the Friday before the game, I'm sitting was sitting in a cafe with with Campbell Brown, we're just sitting there having a coffee, and and Don Scott walked in, and stood there and looked looked down at both Campbell and I, and said, Campbell, Richard, I want you to hit somebody tomorrow, but don't get reported. And he walked off. Now, I'd been. This is a chance meeting. This was just pure chance. Yeah. And I'd never formally met Don Scott in all those years I'd been at the footy club. It was the first time I'd <laughs> even had a conversation and we didn't even get to say anything to Campbell and I. We just looked at each other and there was... So the point of that was this is real feeling, not even within the footy club, with around the ex-players, etc. And then come just before half-time. So that sort of sets the scene mm -hmm. of, of, of the feeling around the whole footy club, not just the site. And just before half-time, Mark Johnson slung... Robbie Campbell to the ground very aggressively. Yep. Now, Robbie Campbell was a young ruckman, a big guy. Mark Johnson's a big guy too, but he, he gave Robbie a bit of a touch-up. We got in there at, um, at half-time and, you know, they're all there, Dipper and Dermy, and they're all sort of going around the rooms and you could just feel it, that something wasn't normal. And as players, we didn't really, you know, nothing was really too different. And then... Um, yeah, then a few things were said. and By whom and, all, and what were they? It all changed. I don't know what was said to who and by whom in terms of, you know, exact words, but Dermy was around and whispered in a few ears and he might have snuck a word in mine. And um, what might he have said? Oh, I can't recall exact words. But <laughs> Richie? <it was. laughs> this is the confessional. <laughs> yeah, the confessional. <laughs> no, no, no. I can't, to be honest, I can't remember the exact... The whole thing becomes a bit of a blur. Mm. But, you know... I think when we got into the halftime speech, that's when it all changed, you know. And we saw another side of Schwabby, which we hadn't seen, and he was irate mm. to the point where we were just all looking at uh, Schwabby going, wow, this, this is serious, so we've got to get out and do something. And it was basically make sure this guy doesn't walk off the field. Really? The level of... of um, well, the, the being Mark Johnson? Yeah. 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 So, um, so Schwabby is... Uh, um, it's the pride of the footy club at stake, isn't it? Yeah. 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 You know, and Schwabby was a very, very fair coach yeah. and a very fair man, and everyone who knows him, you know, would, wouldn't see that side of, of, of Schwabby, and I don't think we'd seen it either. And, yeah, when he, when he sort of said, you know, we can't be putting up with this any longer, this is enough, enough is enough. These yeah. guys are going to continue to bully you unless you, someone stands yeah. up. And, and so after half-time, the rest is history. But um, When you ran onto the ground yep. after half-time that day... Yep. What was your intention? 
to stand up for ourselves. That was the intention. We thought we, we had specifically. to specifically. No, we had to make a statement, and the only way to make a statement was probably to to go after who was considered to probably be the toughest guy on the field, um, which was Mark Johnson. Mm. And, and, you, and you took it on yourself to do that? Well, no, I think I think a group of guys did. Everyone sort of thought, you know, when the acid's been put on, are we going to stand up or are we going to mm. are we just going to continue to take this? And mm. and um, you know, I think Campbell and and um, Dutchie and and uh, and Chance Bateman, or you know, there was a group of guys, a, a whole heap of guys, who really thought let's let's stand up for ourselves here. And um, but it all started out on the wing with. Um, with uh, Chance Bateman and Winderlich, I think it was, and then just little spot fires mm. opened up around the ground, and next thing you know, it, 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 it just fully erupted. Which previously, if that sort of thing had happened with Hawthorne, it sort of all hosed down. But I think the guys were pretty much on edge. <laughs> you ended up with six weeks out of that, didn't you? Yeah. Was that yeah. fair? Uh, and was it fair, and was it a reasonable price to pay <clears throat> for the the impact it had on your footy club? Oh, it wasn't fair. Um, well, of course, at the time, you don't think it's fair um, because so much goes on. But in, in hindsight, when you look back, it you know, probably was. It wasn't a good... It, you know, it wasn't... A, it was a bit of a blight on the game, really. Um, but, but still, back in those days, you could argue that, you know, melee was still a part of the game, not as much as it, well, it was previously and certainly more than it is now. But oh, I think... Um, I think you look back at it and go, we did what we had to do. Mm. And... Uh, you know, the, I think the next game we, lo we lost to Essendon by a point. Um, we hadn't been near him for years and then never lost another game while I was there. When so. you came in after that game, after the, the game we're talking about where the brawl erupted, could you sense amongst the older players and, and the coaches that you'd done what had to be done? Yeah, I think so. You didn't win, did you? The, the, no, the no, bombers we got, won. no, we got absolutely tranced yeah. in the end. Yeah, like it, after the... I mean, we were down by maybe five goals and in the end we probably got beaten by ten. Mm. You know, but... You know, Essendon was so much better than mm. us. And so I suppose it was a matter of, you know, we couldn't beat them, so, from a football sense, so we needed to, to try and just turn the table. It's a little bit like boxing sometimes, footy. It's, it's won and lost in the mind a fair bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you thought when you finished that your self-esteem had been redeemed? I think we did use that as a platform to say, right, enough's enough. Yeah. You know, we, we're not, we can't be seen as the, as the pretty boys of the, of the competition <laughs> anymore. Let's stand up and... And that probably was a, a turning point for Hawthorne. Were you out of control or not? Or was it controlled aggression? Um, I think it started out as controlled aggression. Not sure it ended up that way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did cop a beauty to the, to the jaw from, uh, from Adam McPhee and uh, that probably is, is, what, uh, is what, what sent me off a little bit. But uh, it does become a blur, Mike. You, mm. It's very difficult to remember exactly what happened. And I mean, you look back at the footage and... Like, did I do that? Was it more than coincidence that Dermot chose your ear to whisper into? Oh, well, Dermot grabbed me, um, put me under his wing as soon as I arrived at the footy club. Well, only a couple of you know, a couple of months in. So, you know, I'd had a dialogue with Dermot over years. Um, so having him whisper in my ear from time to time was wasn't anything different. Mm. Um, but I, I don't. He, his words weren't to do anything, you know, untoward. It was more along the lines of. Time to stand up to yeah. this young fellow. And have you sp have you been back to Scotty and spoken to him about what motivated him to s say what he said to you and Campbell Brown? <laughs> I did speak to Don after it yeah. because he rang me on the Monday, and uh, I get this phone call and I answer and I say hello, and um, 
I hear this voice on the other other end of the the, uh, the phone. And he goes, Richie, I told you, don't get reported. <laughs> and he hung up. Did he? And so yeah. I didn't really get to speak to him. But look, I've spoken to Don a few times. It's funny, I haven't really had a good conversation with him about that. And I must I must do that. I spoke to him just recently, so I, I must have a chat to him and ask him what motivated him to do it. You played it on the edge. That was your career, wasn't it? My view of the outside looking at it was that you, you loved your footy, you wanted to be good at it, you didn't believe that you were you know, was endowed as, with the talents of some of the other players and you had to be 101% every time you went out there. Yeah, I, I loved the game. I, I loved the competition, I loved the, the, the sport, you know. I, I just loved playing footy. Um, and, yeah, certainly wasn't the most skilled player. Um, you know, I, I probably forged a career just out of out of being competitive and and determined to to win. Um, sometimes I wonder whether it was that determination to win that motivated you, or that or that fear of losing. Mm, but mm. Uh, no, I just love. But the year, the year that you missed the six games through suspension, you finished fourth in the best and fairest, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I played a lot of um, a lot of roles back then, um, where you know I'd play a run with role and, and try and play off guys. And uh, you know, club, you know, voting within club champions and the like is is, is, co is by the coaches. So if you do your job, um, yes. then you know, then you then you get votes. But yeah. certainly by the by the public's eye, you you haven't set the world on fire. That's for sure. Let me take you back. This is, I think, perhaps a painful one for you. I was working on Three AW. Mm -hmm. uh, we were at Etihad Stadium. Mm -hmm. The Hawks were playing. You were captain. And the Hawks were playing in Launceston. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we call you up. Mm -hmm. You're waiting on the line. Yeah. <laughs> now, you pick the story up from there. Yeah. What are you listening to? This was your stitch-up, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Not mine, Richie, I don't think. No, no, no. no. I, think, um, I think your producer might have uh, worn the wrath of, of Clarko on this one too. He did? No, I mean, during the week, um, during the week there'd been some commentary, because you know, I'd only played a few games, as we said, the, that year, and uh, during the week Tony Shaw had made some comments that I wasn't in the best 22 and how could you be the captain of the club and something along those lines. But I hadn't heard the interview or wasn't familiar with it. And then um, the, the, the segue into the interview with, with, with you and the panel was, um, was that clip being replayed. Mm. So, yeah, the, a little bit of an ambush caught me unawares that day. <laughs> I think I was silly enough to ask you the first question, actually. <laughs> you were. But uh, yeah. your coach didn't take too kindly to that and, and he certainly let the people at AW know that he thought it was an ambush. The one thing, the one thing that, that Clarko does, you know, probably better than anybody is he sticks by his people like no tomorrow. Mm. And no matter how, whether he believed what was said or not and how much you're struggling, you know, I knew where I was at, you know, I was battling... You know, battling to play and battling to find form, and Clarko did too. But there's um, there's no, no there's no way he will stand for for someone outside of of the footy club taking pot shots at, at mm. his players or his coaches or anyone for that matter. He he takes ownership, that's for sure. Mm. Your time over again, would you have taken the risk and, and, and tried to get through 2008 and taken your chances? Would it have been sweeter for you to have been still there, but perhaps not even played in the grand final? I look at it this way. If if I had a stayed on, and let's say Smithy and Dicko, or if we had a continued, someone like Stewie Jew might not have come to the footy club. Stewie Jew doesn't come to the footy club. 
You don't, maybe you don't win. Maybe we don't win. Yeah. You know, he turned the game on his off his own boot there. So, you know, if you be pragmatic about it, you go, well, the reality is you might not have played, it might have been harder, and I, I don't think I would have made a different decision, though. No. What's your relationship like with the Hawks now? Yeah, it's good. Good? It's good. Do you like, go back there much? Yeah, or don't get down to the club a whole lot, um, probably only a couple of times a year, but when I do get down there, I like to you know, go out and say good day, and it still feels like home. I mean, the first, the first few years out of a footy club, I think any ex-player will say it's pretty tough going back, but I, I feel comfortable being around the footy club and catching up with the guys and Clarko and, and everyone who was around. Was the transition, tr transition from player to normal individual, was it difficult for you? Yeah, yeah, I, you know, you get asked that question all the time and I, it's easy to say now, but at the time it wasn't. I reckon it took five years. It took five years after 2008. I think during 2008 wasn't too bad. Um, although when they thrashed Melbourne for the first, in the first game, all of 2008, I'm thinking, geez, they're going to win it this year. I just had yeah. that funny feeling. Yeah. And then uh, it probably took, yeah, I reckon, five years. And I sat down with Ian Dicker only a couple of years ago and had a good chat to him about it. And, and we had a really open conversation about, you know, how it was, you know, for him, because he mm. was in a similar boat. Yep. And how it was, you know, for me and all other people in similar sort of situations. And it's a case of just, you know, get that monkey off your back and move on. That round one game against Melbourne, and you say to yourself, I think they can win it this year. Yeah. What was the emotional response to that? Well, I was actually over in Africa at the time. So I was travelling at the time. and Because I, I, uh, I think we'd played Melbourne, you know, round one for the previous few mm, years mm. and we'd always sort of got beaten and and then they, we won and we won well and I thought wow yeah I thought don't tell me <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, look I think we all understand that I interviewed yeah. Barry Richardson yeah recently and he was talking about watching Richmond win a flag mm. and that momentary response I'm almost half hoping they don't because mm. I'm not there mm. so mm. this is the human nature is it not mm. yeah oh, absolutely yeah absolutely you know it's You'd be lying if you said that you, you know you didn't have that thought. Of course, everyone has that thought. Um, it's what you do with it because it can eat you up. Yep. And it eats a lot of people up. Didn't eat you up? I think it did for a period. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, it spent spent so much time with the guys. It's and so expend so much emotion. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it was it, not easy. You know. Mm. You know, Joel and I still talk still talk about it. You know. Joel Smith. Yeah. 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 You know, we're we're still good mates and we we catch up and. Um, you know, I think I think Joel probably, in some senses, does it tougher than I do. He, he finds just it harder. Just stiff, isn't he? Plays for St Kilda. Yeah. <laughs> then he gets the Hawthorne and he misses on a flag by a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think anyone who's been through it would understand what it's like. Otherwise, it's probably a little bit tough to. It's even hard to explain to people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's your proudest footy moment? Oh, I mean, on the field was probably. Uh, Geez, um, testing the year, but on the field was the year that we beat Port Adelaide over there in the, I think it was the second semi. When Johnny Barker kicked, kicked the, that, yeah. kicked that goal. You know, I think it was mm. the first time a Victorian club had won a final outside of Melbourne, and you know we just starting to get a bit of momentum as a club, and uh, that was that was a pretty good pretty good year for us. But that that game was probably one of the proudest proudest footy moments in terms of play. I mean, captaining a club, of course. Yep. Uh, but when you're in there and when you're doing it, you. You're sort of in the moment. You're not. You're not taking too much time to to reflect on on what it is you're doing. Explain this to me. Hawthorne seems to have a massive record success rate in close, close finishes. Is it luck or is it a practiced art? 
I think I think you create your own luck, but it's certainly practiced from from day dot. Clarko would would um, you know we'd train for it. You know we we would stop the last part of a training session. Clarko would blow the whistle and say, "Righto, guys, here's a scenario," and. One minute on the clock, two minutes on the clock, three minutes on the clock. We'd, he'd set up a scenario and we'd train it. And we mm -hmm. trained that for years. And so you look back at the amount of, well, I think it was three preliminary finals that the guys got into by less than a goal. And you could, you could argue that it was luck, but you could also say, well, they practised it for mm -hmm. 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it comes as no surprise that, that they're able to, to win in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, you joined Hawthorne at... Selection number 78 in the, from the National Draft from University Blues. Mm. My memory says that a bloke called Gillam McLaughlin was a teammate of yours at Uni Blues. Is that right? Yes, yes. The big pony. He, uh... <laughs> the, big, yeah. the big pony. Probably shouldn't say that. Sorry, Gil. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, Gil was a ruckman. He was, um, he was a couple of years ahead of me um, at, at Uni um, and therefore obviously a bit older. Uh, and yeah, we weren't a bad side. And but Gil was a ruckman, and um, he was a good player. Mm -hmm. He was a good player, Gil. He, in fact, uh, Gil, um, Gil, you could argue was one of the people that that probably led to my career. He um, he was down at Carlton training, um, Carlton Footy Club, that is. Mm -hmm. um, and one day they were short, and he said, "I know a guy you could you could ring up." And um, I got a call from Shane O'Sullivan to come down and fill in one day, and yeah, after the game. Um, Parko said, you know, stay on. So I stayed on that year and I ended up getting listed as a, a supplementary player and uh, Gil went back to back to Uni Blues, unfortunately, and um, in the end I couldn't play because of the way the rules were back then. Uh, I got a phone call on the Friday night before the first game by um, Shane O'Sullivan saying, you from New South Wales? And I said, yeah, yes. He said, how long have you lived in Victoria for? And it was about two years. And he said, um, got some bad news for you. You, you can't play, you've got to sit out the year. And he explained the rule to me, and that was the old supplementary rule. So I sat right. out a year. And um, did you not go back to uni? Yeah, went back yeah, to uni. Yeah, and yeah. and because Parco asked me to keep training for the year, I said no. If I'm going to go back and play at uni, I'll you know I'll try and, and do and, and stay involved, and then played another year down there. Yeah. Tickle, Gil. tickle Gil's ego. Could he have played league football? He, he, I think if he was given the opportunity, he would have he would have been thereabouts. Yeah. I mean. I think I always think there are so many players that could have played mm. um, if they're given the opportunity. But then it all comes down to to what they do when they get there. Getting there is one thing. Actually, being able to lace up and, and run out one day is another thing. So I think Gill was one of those guys that if he had been there and given the opportunity, he probably could have made it. Yeah. Now the wine career. You're, you're, is it a family business? The Limestone Coast Wines in the Padua, Padua region. Is it yours or the family's? Yeah. No, that's that's mine and another another. Um, uh, Business partner of mine, and you know, the family still got some interest in it. But look, w w I come from a farming background, so you know, my family and and father are all farmers and are still back on the land farming. And this is sort of the the next the next step, I suppose, going into into wine. It's it's a tough industry, but I think it, a little. And one of the things actually, Joel Smith taught me this was, um, if um, if you don't like the environment that you're operating in, you better. Uh, you better leave because most environments aren't going to change to, to mm. suit you. So we adopted that philosophy, and, and you know another footy, another footy um, learning, I suppose, was people. It, business is no different to sport. It's all about people and just yeah. creating a good culture. You haven't lost it, mate. You still got that fire in the eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm one of the lucky few, you know. I, 
it, it took a while, as I said, but you know, I've found I've found another career that I'm really passionate about that I, I just love doing. So you know, I don't think many people get to leave football and go into a completely different industry and then just have that, that fire back in their belly. And I'm fortunate that I've been able to find that. Yeah. Hey, Richard, it's great to catch up. I mean, I think... I know everyone Hawthorne respects the contribution you made to that footy club and those of us on the outside looking in said, this bloke got everything out of his talent and it had a career he's entitled to be proud of. Great to see you, mate. Thanks, Mike. Cheers. This has been a Fox Footy production. Part of the Fox Sports Network.